Everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time to get out to the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. He makes that magic happen for KSL Television. He's our good friend, Jeremiah Jensen. What's going on, Jeremiah? How you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good. I didn't have to kick a chair or push over any exercise equipment today, so I think I'm having a good day. That is good. That is good. Uh, <laughs> have you ever have you ever done that, Jeremiah? Have you ever been oh, so a mad few times? Yeah, some... in order to get what I want and you know send a, to send the message over here, I've had to rough up a few office chairs. But uh, <laughs> what? No, <laughs> no, I, no I, I can't say I've ever had to. Ha- I've been in that position, but I, I've never had to uh, play an NBA playoff game and play that poorly. So. Uh, I guess I haven't had a situation like that. I bet you've wrapped a golf club or two around a tree. Well, on accident, I've had some flow fly out of my hand. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I've I've thrown a few clubs in my day. <laughs> well, let's talk a little basketball, Jeremiah. Let's talk about the Jazz. Give us your takeaway from Game Six uh, going into Game Seven. What'd you see, and what do uh, what do they need to fix? Oh my gosh, what do they need to fix? Uh, so many things. Uh, it was. I'm watching the game. I was just. I couldn't believe how poorly they were playing. I, I think the, the the frustrating thing for me. I mean, you could understand if if you, the Jazz go out there in a game like that and 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 Jamal Murray just does his thing and 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 Jokic just plays like crazy and and they score a lot of points and they do what they do. They're a good basketball team, so you could understand them losing. But I I, I, I said this last night in sports beat. I felt like I was watching a Jazz team that was playing the fourth game in five nights on an East coast road trip in January. There was, they were just flat. There was no energy. There was no urgency. It just seemed odd. And, you know, outside of Donovan Mitchell, and I guess maybe you could say Mike Conley, um, just poor performances. The guys just didn't bring their best. And that was really discouraging knowing what was at stake last night. There was, they had a chance to close out that series and they started great. Um, the first three minutes of that game, they were red hot. And then all of a sudden they just, they just stop doing what they should be doing. I mean, we see the Utah Jazz when they have success. That ball's moving. Everyone's touching it. Um, they play with energy. They play with fire. And the ball stuck last night. And Rudy wasn't involved in the offense at all. I think that's a problem. I think Rudy got frustrated. And then he didn't play hard. And you could see the frustration he had in the third quarter, when he, or fourth quarter, when he kicked that chair. Um, there's a lot of frustration with that team last night. I don't get why. It just felt like, remember, guys, in February when – these teams, when the Jazz would win four games in a row, then they'd lose four games in a row. They'd get blown out at home by the Phoenix Suns, and then they'd go have a nice you know, trip, and they'd, they'd win four in a row. This team we have, it, it feels the same, like it's the same team that was hot and cold throughout the entire season. It just feels like there's been a continuation of that in the bubble. I don't have any answers. I just know they've got to, they've got to be able to slow down Jamal Murray a little bit more than they did uh, if they have any chance in Game 7. You know, Jeremiah, you bring up a terrific point. It's this that if the Nuggets fall behind, they seem to have the confidence to know that they can come back, and obviously Jamal Murray's a big part of that, but there are other guys involved as well. So the Jazz need to – and that's weird for a team that was getting beat beat by 37 points earlier in this very same series. So the Jazz uh, need to recapture that. 
Because I if, agree they fall, that- if they fall behind early in Game 7, I don't think uh, – I just don't know. But if the Nuggets fall behind early, we've seen them come back. That concerns me. It feels to me, Gordon, like the Nuggets are the team that's mentally stronger and mentally tougher. They've been able – they've been, they've overcome a tremendous amount of the series. Those you know, Games 2 and 3, I mean, it looked like the Jazz were just going to run away with this series, and the, and the Nuggets looked like a team that was going to quit. We've seen the complete opposite from them uh, the last two games. Even game four, the Nuggets fought in that game. So where are the Jazz now psychologically? And can they bounce back after, after what's happened the last two games? And plus on top of that, all the, all the other things that they're going through, the, the, the difficulty of being in the bubble for almost two months now and all this, the social unrest that they're dealing with that for most of the guys, if not all of them, is having a heavy toll on them emotionally. How are they processing all these things as they get ready for game seven? Uh, the Jazz are, I just feel like they may be on the wrong end of that as far as the mental toughness it's going to take to be able to come through on Tuesday night. But, I mean, they, they could prove us all wrong. But uh, right now they're just not trending in the right direction. Are you surprised, Jeremiah, they haven't had any defensive answer for Jamal Murray? just doesn't seem like anything's worked. Yes. Um, it's, and, and you heard Charles Barkley on TNT last night, um, you know, take, take Quinn Snyder to task. And, you know, obviously locally we have a little bit more insight to what's going on and, and what Quinn does. Uh, but it is concerning that they haven't found a way or, or, or tried to – I mean, I think they've tried to do everything they can. I think that the biggest glaring thing right now is they just don't have somebody on their roster that can match up with them. I mean, you think that Royce would be able to, but he clearly has not been an answer. I just think that Jamal's too much for Joe Ingles. Um, I just don't think the Jazz have that guy on their roster right now that could be able to give him trouble. So then you try to look, okay, are we going to double-team Jamal? Do we try some things like that? But then you leave some of their guys open, and they're terrific shooters. So the truth is that Denver's an offensive juggernaut, and there's just not an easy way to defend this team. And it's really come down to a series of what's better, the Jazz defense or Denver's offense. Earlier in the series, you know, after three, four games, the Jazz defense was the difference. But now as we get to game seven, it's the Nuggets offense that's been winning out the last two games. We'll see which one wins out in game seven. But uh, I, I just – I don't know that Quinn can come up with an answer right now scheme-wise. It's going to be any different what they're doing, and they can't change the personnel. So it is, it is frustrating that they haven't when you expect Quinn, when we, we see it, we have so much respect for him and what he does. But they, they just don't seem to have that answer. And the only answer I think they're going to have in Game 7 is hope that Jamal misses. Yeah, you're right. They don't have a defense. Royce O'Neal can't guard him. I mean, I no. just don't think – uh, I don't think that's happening. So I, I probably would double him and do the best I could and, and maybe leave, hope the rotating defense could cover for somebody else if they uh, get an open look. But I'd rather I'd rather have other people beat me than have Jamal Murray put another 50 spot on me. I, I, I just want nothing to do with that. And the other problem they had in that game, in game six, I mean, they, Jamal had too many open looks. And there was one time when, Oh, Nikola Jokic just, just walked up and, and shot an open three. There was no one within five feet of him. Those yeah. kind of things are happening, too. So it, it, it's hard enough to guard these guys when you're, when you're doing it that poorly. Then you really don't have a chance. He's Jeremiah Jensen with us from uh, Channel 5, KSL, of course, here on the big show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So processing all of this, where are you at uh, kind of odds-wise going into Game 7? Well, Vegas likes the Jazz, which is odd, right? <laughs> So I just I, I I just think it's a toss up at this point. 
Um, you know, can Denver continue to stay this hot? Probably. Can the Jazz, do they have the mental toughness to come back and, and, and play a game seven and, and play better? Um, well, we'll, we'll find out. I, I think they're capable of it. I think we know this team, and there's guys on this team that have tremendous character, and I don't think they're ready to go home yet. I don't think they went to Orlando for two months to have it end like this. So I think they're going to come out fighting on Tuesday. I think really what we need to see is a Rudy Gobert playing like all-star Rudy Gobert and not the Rudy Gobert we saw in game six. He has to be more forceful. He has to have a bigger impact on the game. And the Jazz have to get him involved offensively. Where did the pick and roll go with Rudy? It disappeared for a while in that game. They've got to find a way to get him involved and to get everybody involved. They can't have next to nothing when it comes to production, both offensively and defensively, from Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal. Those guys have to give them something. You know Donovan's going to do what he does. Mike's been solid. If Rudy steps up and they can get those other guys involved like they did in games two and three and even game four, then the Jazz can win this game. But, yeah, the trend, the way this is trending, it doesn't feel good. But as we've seen in this series, it can change in one game. It has already quite a bit. I'm curious to know. I'll ask you guys. Both of you are compulsive gamblers. Yes. Why would Vegas favor the Jazz? Do they, you think they, they're just – it's that they don't think Jamal Murray can keep doing this or what? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess we know how Vegas works. They're just trying to move the money, right? But it's funny how the odds come out. and You, 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 can't, you, don't, you, you tend to look at it and, and have your, your thoughts and, and as to why that might be. I, I just think that there's a lot of – you look at the series and it, it's been a roller coaster ride, right? I mean, game one, the overtime was nuts. And then you saw the Jazz dominate games two and three. Game four was incredible, the duel between Murray and, and Donovan Mitchell. Then the last two has flipped the Nuggets way. So, you know, why wouldn't uh, things go start going the Jazz way all of a sudden? Maybe they can regroup, and, and maybe there's a sense that that can happen. Um, but, I mean, I, I think it, perhaps it's the respect for Donovan Mitchell. I don't know. But um, I just think, you know, you're in a game seven, and the Jazz have already had some great moments in this series. Why can't they come back? And make this happen. Other than that, I don't. I have no idea what Vegas is seeing because, you know, we maybe we're looking at this from a, a glass half empty because we we know this Jazz team so well. But uh, yeah, it seems like it should be the other way around for sure. Jeremiah, what are your thoughts on what's going on with RSL? And now it looks like they're going to get a new owner. Um, to put it bluntly, I think this is a, an exciting uh, thing for the franchise. It's the right move moving forward. I think it's a new day. I think that they need a new ownership approach. Um, uh, I just I think that they need a fresh start with that organization. There's a lot of positive things that are that are possible with what they have built there. Um, I, I don't think there's very few teams in Major League Soccer that have uh, three teams like that that are tied together so well with the men's and women's game and and the, the development that they have through the academy and with the Monarchs and have the facilities that they have. And to bring in a fresh start with some new ownership that'll, that'll you know, bring in uh, some, you know, some fresh air into that organization. Um, you know, you guys know a lot of people involved in that organization. You know, Gordon, I read your column. I mean, I agree. It's just time for a new start for that, for that franchise. And, and I think it's exciting, and I think it's positive. And uh, I think it's going to be for the best. Jeremiah, what do you make of the whole idea of someone in a position like that who speaks out? and says something controversial uh, of this nature and then 
if not being forced, and I don't know what Major League Soccer did, I don't know what influence they had or if they laid down any kind of order or how that went down, but how do you feel about somebody saying something and then have, facing that kind of uh, penalty? I think you have to you have to say, okay, first of all, what did they say and, and what impact does it have on the players, members of the organization, and the league? Is it detrimental to that organization is it detrimental to the league and that's that's perhaps where he crossed the line and i think that's probably based on the statements the major league soccer issued and the reaction of the players the members of the organization who's who's who spoke out that he crossed the line there um you know you gordon you remember larry miller very well and larry was always outspoken um i don't ever remember him i mean maybe you could you could you might have obviously a better idea or memory of this but i don't remember him ever doing something that was detrimental to the franchise and to the nba because of what he said um this was different this was this crossed the line and and obviously there's a lot of things coming out um a lot of stories that definitely crossed the line and you have to address that as a league and as a franchise and when you have players that no longer trust the owner uh because of the way he he reacted to your reaction to something going on in our country then you have to you have to address that, and if it's detrimental to the league and all these other stories coming out, if he's actually if these are things he said and did, then you can't have that. You can't be in a position of power like that and be wielding those kind of things, doing those kind of things in the year 2020. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, you, you you we live in this era where people want to cancel you for saying certain things that maybe they don't agree with. I don't think that's this, the case here. I think this crossed the line with everything going on, especially if the reports are true of the, the racial things that he said and did. That's crossing the line and where, where it becomes detrimental to the league and to the franchise. You bring up a great point about I'm not sure what players would want to play for RSL from that point right. forward. Yeah. And then how do you win? How do you move forward when players don't want to play for you? I mean, it's a bad situation. Imagine that happening in, in any other professional league. I mean, you, you can't have that. So you you got to move on. you got to cut bait, and things have to change. On a lighter note, Jeremiah, uh, Monson and David James are putting together a group to buy RSL. So for a mill or two, I bet they'd let you in. Well, you know, I, I, I definitely have the, uh, uh, the the cash on hand for that, so count me in. I'm, All right. Let's, let's do it. Let's put a package together. It's a Monson and James Jensen of, now. Yeah, I know, I know Gordon will have to sell a few of those nice cars he has, but uh, let's put some together and make it happen. There you go, Gordon. I got to admit, that, that did make me laugh, just the thought of if I were ever to own RSL after everything that's gone on through the oh, years. Oh, the irony, so, Gordon. How cool yeah. would that be? Mm-hmm. You crazy. would never have to worry about your credential being pulled again. I think I'm a billion or two short, but I'll see if what I can come up with. <laughs> oh, man, if yeah, that well, franchise is going for a billion dollars, that's good news for Deloy Anson. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't feel bad for him. He's going to make some profit off of this deal for yeah, sure. Just not that much. Uh, Jeremiah, thank you very much. Appreciate your work you as always. It, Keep it up, buddy. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's our friend Jeremiah Jensen from KSL 5. Would you keep that, uh, what's his name, Andy Carroll? Would you keep him on? Of course, man. I think anybody who wants, uh, you know, certain members of the media banned from the press box, I think uh, that's probably a guy you want on your side. That's the guy right there. Keep him in PR. Yeah, that guy. I'll tell you. Keep him in media relations. He did not know what he was doing. Did not or does not? (laughs) 
I'm speaking in the past tense. <laughs> you are. I think he's still living. <laughs> yeah, but is he still going to be with RSL? I, I don't know, actually. That that thought did cross my mind in the in the interim. Is he still involved? I would assume so. Hmm. All yeah. right. Well, we'll see for how long. Well, yeah, that depends on how long it uh, takes you and your group to get things approved and, <laughs> and push it through. Come on. You and DJ are on it. Deep pockets. Yeah, no. I, I will be. I'll. I'll honestly, honestly, be very, very curious to see how much it sells for. A lot more than uh, Deloitte paid for it. <clears throat> well, but how much? I mean, I. I'm curious to. I think Major League Soccer is financially built a little mm, kind of weird. So I wonder how much somebody's going to be willing to invest. It sounds like there might be some competing bids. You think it's uh, sort of the prices are inflated by the fact that they're selling so many uh, new uh, opportunities for franchises, right? I do think it's a little artificially high for that reason, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Soccer has been trying to get a foothold in this country for quite some time. And uh, I-, I think it does have a bright future, but that's just my prediction. Coming up next, Steve Cleveland was on DJ and PK this morning. And for our drop of the day today, Gordon, I want to play this because he had a really interesting comparison for the Utah Jazz. I thought it was a a, a unique insight he had this morning. We're going to play that clip for you. Coming up next, Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone. Joe Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thanks for making us part of your day. It's time for Drop of the Day, also known as Sounds of Various Clips. I still don't know how you came up with Sounds of Various Clips and not Drop of the Day. Beats Sorry, beats me. I can't remember. I don't know what was going on there. They don't even sound similar. <laughs> sounds of Various Clips? Beats me. I, I, I do not know. <laughs> All right, well, here's a couple minutes. This is from DJ and PK. They have Steve Cleveland on every Monday, of course, former BYU and Fresno State head coach. And uh, they have him on as a basketball insider. He talks a lot of jazz and a lot of college hoop when it's going on. And uh, here's what Steve had to say about the position the Jazz are in with Jamal Murray. And uh, he had an interesting comparison that he got into as well. Let's uh, give that a listen. I hate to bring up a painful memory. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. We're going to Denver, people. I see it. Oh, jeez. March 18, 2004. <laughs> oh. We were, I was there. I don't know if you were there, DJ. I was in the Pepsi Center. Steve Cleveland was in the Pepsi Center. But it, and, and Jerry McNamara goes off for 43. But yet, yet, you know, uh, I don't want to, it's probably more painful. A certain uh, guy who shouldn't have been shooting a three shot a three late in the game. I think it was an air ball. So the point I'm making is that, you know, McNamara went off, but you were right there to win the game. And it was literally yeah. a possession right there. So his 43 could have been like Mitchell's 43, whatever. You know, nobody cares what you're scoring in a losing effort. The winning team doesn't. So even though McNamara went off out of nowhere for 43, you had that game and it got away from you right at the end. Whereas the Jazz, I can't say that they've had these games. They didn't They didn't really have game six uh, down the stretch. It felt like it was Denver's game comfortably. So what can be done to change the strategy? Because allowing somebody to go off 
is okay if you're losing. I mean, if the other team is losing, but the Nuggets are winning. So what kind of adjustments can they make? You know, I appreciate you bringing that game up, too, this morning. You're make my day. Make me feel I know, Steve. Uh, Steve, I just want to be clear. You and I, you don't have a thing going on, Steve. I, I would have never done that. We've I, I will tell you something that you, you may not know about that. So, you know, it's interesting, and it, it will apply to what we're going to talk about. <clears throat> so, we obviously executed against their zone, and I remember Jim Beheim came up to me afterwards, and he says, <clears throat> in all my years of NC2A tournament experience, I've never gotten that. No, no team has ever taken me out of the zone. He said, uh, you guys shot it. I mean, we, we were having, you know, dunks from the backside from the guards, and Rafael Ruggio was having a huge night, and we, we were playing well. And we're up 12, 13, 14 in that game. And they, and they, get, out of the, they get out of the zone for the first time in his history as a coach in the NC2A and just lock us up defensively, which – forced us into a few bad shots, and, and, I, and it just took our tempo away because we were running every offensive zone set we could do. We were getting backside dunks and against the zone, and they didn't have an answer. And obviously, you know, the guard was knocking shots down from all over the place, but I'm, I'm still convinced today if he hadn't made that adjustment, it didn't matter if McNamara had 40 or 50, they weren't going to beat us because we were scoring at a clip that we, we, the zone attack was perfect, and uh, he had to get out. You know, he made an adjustment, which really, McNamara gets a lot of credit, but the credit for the winning that game was the coaching staff because when they went to man, they were physically and stronger than us in a lot of positions and just kind of overwhelmed us. And you know, we had had a pretty sizable lead in that game. So I think the same thing applies. We can apply this to the, to the Jazz and to the Nuggets. I think that we're in a situation right now where the Jazz are going to have to make some adjustments. And it doesn't have to be wholesale adjustments, but you've got to do something to get the ball out of Jamal Murray's hands. And, I, you know, I, I watched the game. I listened to the commentary and, and, you know, all the different things that were said. But at the end of the day, uh, he, he can't go for 50. I mean, Jokic is going to get 20 to 30 no matter what. Uh, I, I don't know that Jeremy Grant is going to have 18 points again in a game. Uh, but certainly getting Gary Harris back does make them better defensively. I don't know if he'll score, but his, his presence defensively and having another guard in the floor really does help the Nuggets. Not that he, you know, he scored four points, but his presence was, was kind of known there and felt they needed him. But I think the key thing is just like Jim Beheim did against Steve Cleveland in, in 2004 the Pepsi Center, I think adjust, some adjustments are going to have to be made. And they don't have to be wholesale adjustments. They could be defensive adjustments when you're coming out of timeouts, dead balls, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, they could be, hey, we're going to start the game playing it straight up uh, and start the second quarter, and all of a sudden you run somebody at him. I mean, the thing about Jamal Murray is he's so good in transition that, and, and he just pushes the envelope constantly that it, it's hard to just – have a set plan, hey, we're going to double them every time. Well, that's, that's easier said than done. But I think there has to be a plan. Uh, I don't think the Jazz want to go to this game, have him go for 45 or 50 again, and look back and go, whoa, we, we didn't really make an adjustment. And I'm, hey, listen, this, these are really, really smart coaches. Uh, they'll, they'll have a plan and they'll figure it out. Uh, but 
they're also the Jazz are also going to need to offensively. The numbers are fine. I mean, they're shooting 45 percent like yesterday, 50 percent, 18. You you figure if you go 18 for 36 from the three, that you're going to win a game like that. Unfortunately, Nuggets were 18 for 36 as well. Yeah, and both teams are sharing the ball. So uh, I think more than anything, I think the offense will take care of itself. Uh, but they're going to have to make some adjustments. There you go, Gordon. Uh, getting right in kind of the, the middle of the conversation that we've had all day today. I thought that was a, a fascinating anecdote and comparison about uh, yes. that game against Syracuse. I thought that was really interesting. But but I, I think he's right. That's where the Jazz are right now defensively with Murray. You know, maybe you're going to have to think outside of the box and play differently than you've done all series long. But like Coach Cleveland said right there, don't let Jamal Murray beat you. Right. I agree with that completely. And by the way, I want to say this. I think PK in that question may have broken my San Bernardino record. <laughs> you think, you I'm, think I'm serious. that was a, a lengthy question? Do we need to yeah. time it? Yeah, let's time it right Do you now. Wanna, okay, yeah. can we play just the question part back there? Just, just when PK started talking, uh, and let's time that. Do you have a timer? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at a clock right now. Okay. I hate to bring up a painful memory. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. We're going to Denver, people. I see it. Oh, jeez. March 18th, 2004. All right. <laughs> oh. We're at 10 we seconds were, I now. I was there. I don't know if you were there, DJ. I was in the Pepsi Center. Steve Cleveland was in the Pepsi Center. but it, and, and Jerry McNamara goes off for 43. But yet, yet, you know, uh, I don't want to – it's probably more painful. A certain uh, guy who shouldn't have been shooting a three shot a three late in the game. I think it was an air ball. So the point I'm making 30, is that, you know, McNamara went off, but you were right there to win the game. And it was literally yeah. a possession right there. So his 43 40. could have been like Mitchell's 43, whatever. You know, nobody cares what you're scoring in a losing effort. The winning team doesn't. So even though McNamara went off out of 50. nowhere for 43, you had that game and it got away from you right at the end. Whereas the Jazz, I can't say that they've had these games. They didn't They didn't really have the game One six. minute. Uh, down the stretch, it felt like it was Denver's game comfortably. So what can be done to change the strategy because allowing somebody to go off is okay if you're losing. I mean, if the other team is losing, but the Nuggets are winning. So what kind of adjustments can they make? Wow, right around a minute 20. I think that is longer than your San Bernardino question. That was long. And I'm telling you, it had elements of the San Bernardino question. It went in and out a little bit, didn't it? It did. It (laughs) zigged and zagged all over the place and up and down and all around. But I I think that may have outdone it. Now, I don't know whether we – I don't think we have the San Bernardino question. Oh, sure we do. Well, I, I mean, when we play it, usually we just play part of it. But I think that may have I think that may substantially have outdone it. But you're you're including only one of the things that makes the San Bernardino question unbelievably <laughs> brilliant. It's not only the length and the ins and outs, it's how you finish it up, which is a completely vague question that he answers as literally as humanly possible. Well, that that's what makes fault. that that's what makes that brilliant. I I think PK just broke it. What makes that question brilliant, though, is that Damian Hunter uh, just completely ignores what you're saying until how you hanging on, where are you? And then goes with, (laughs) I'm in San Bernardino right now. Can you find that, Alex? Is that too much to to ask to find? I don't think uh, we have the whole thing. I don't think we have. Well, maybe we do. I don't know. 
you know. But PK just he did himself proud there. But didn't quite because uh, Steve Cleveland still answered the question though. He did. Uh, he didn't get lost in the question. No, no. Where Damian but, and DJ did. got in the way there a little bit, but only for a couple seconds. Most of it was PK soaring and zigging and zagging all over. A minute twenty is pretty thorough. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a that's a pretty thorough question right there. But it, it will never match San Bernardino though. <laughs> only because of the answer. Of course, because of the answer. <laughs> the answer is what makes that clip amazing. Huh. Well, I think you PK know the the, the, the yards would be astounding. <laughs> <laughs> I think PK outdid it. That's all I'm saying. That's after all these years, I've taken all this heat, and PK outdid me. You weren't getting heat, Gordon, because of the length of the question. That's only part of it. That's what we're well, saying. I know, but that's that's a part of it that that what that I had control over. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have it? Can we play it? All right, we think so. Oh man, Lord knows what this is. All right, go ahead. Interesting. Your your sort of uh, transformation from your junior year in college to your senior year when you really started to turn it on, but only on a part time basis. And and a lot of times I was, I'd be watching the game and I'd be thinking, man, I, you know, if he got all the carries, I mean, the numbers would be astounding. But maybe you got more yards because you were a little fresher that way. I don't know. And now you're ready. I talked with you during the season, and now you're on the edge, on the brink of fulfilling a childhood dream of going to the NFL. I mean, uh, you may be nervous and you may be a little anxious, a little uh, uncertain as to where you're going to go. But can you characterize the feelings that are going through your mind? Uh, you know, how are you hanging on? Where are you? I'm in uh, San Bernardino right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is standing. I don't know. Did you time it? Uh, no, but I'm sure Alex could tell us how long that is. How long? Clock's in it. 42 seconds. See, not even close. But we didn't he get all me of up. it. We didn't get all of it like uh, like you uh, said. And it didn't have the brilliant end where all he listened to of you <laughs> saying all of that was, where are you? <laughs> oh, wow. I'm in San Bernardino right now. <laughs> Tell me everybody who's a regular listener of this show who travels to Southern California doesn't drive by San Bernardino and see the sign on the freeway and immediately think of Gordon, because I know I do. Every time oh, in uh, I, I've driven down that way, you see that big San Bernardino sign, and you think, oh, man, I wonder what Gordon's up to right now. How are you hanging on? Where are you? Oh, unbelievable. We'll never be surpassed. All right, coming up. Gordon, we'll get to more Big Show. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, Gordon, do, I need, do I need to say it again? What? Drop the top, baby. No, you didn't hear that. You didn't need to say that again. It's in the Same song. Here. We did. That's I don't think we heard song. the the song uh, that I wanted to hear from Aretha today. I wanted to hear "Say a Little Prayer for You." Hmm. Love that song. That's a Burt Bacharach tune right there. You know Are what? You I'm... a big Burt Bacharach? Yes, fan? I've picked him as band of the day multiple times, and you and Austin always make fun of me. Man was brilliant, <laughs> and that's a particularly good song, especially when sung by Aretha Franklin. Well, he had a lot of hits. 
You know, I was listening to uh, an Aretha Franklin album over the weekend, and it had a version of Let It Be on it. It just reminded me how much better she is singing that than the Beatles. Than the originals? Yes. (laughs) Than the people who wrote and sang the song? Yes. Her performance was far better. better Better than Paul McCartney's. By, like, 150%. Well, I'm not going to rain on Aretha's parade or anything. May she rest in peace. But th- that song by Paul McCartney is one of the best rock songs, ballads. Of man, all time. I was listening to it sung by somebody else today, and I thought, man, this is a beautiful tune. Well, I mean, but consider whose taste you're talking about. What mine? Yeah. Just because I don't like the 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 the, the version where McCartney sounds like a like a dying cat, but Aretha is her, her, <laughs> a dying cat. Her, her, her voice is here. just beautiful. Lundy, you got to find me uh, a version of of uh, Paul McCartney singing "Let It Be," and you tell me that song is not a fantastic song. Sounds like uh, when the, the cholesterol problems finally catches up with Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot believe you, and I don't believe you, and I don't believe that you think that. That I think Aretha Franklin is a better singer than Paul McCartney. That really surprises you. On that song, yes. No way. Yes, there is no. And I love Aretha, but no, that is Paul McCartney's song, which Aretha Franklin performs better. How many times do we have to have this argument? You know, I'm a big Bob Dylan fan, but if somebody wants to tell me that they like. uh, what the Guns N' Roses version of "Knocking on Heaven's Door" better? Okay, Bob Dylan. He was a great songwriter, not a great song singer. Well, you can say that about the Beatles too. <laughs> Again, there's a whole lot of people out there who disagree with you, including me. Well, that's fine. Uh, you guys can be wrong all you want. What's the problem? This is America. You're you're feel free to you feel free to be incorrect all you want. It's kind of a theme of this show. If you agreed with me, then both of us would be right. You take the the popular opinion, the and popular I and opinion. I think critically. It's just how this show works. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm sorry, I can't get past that. That's that's too much. Are you bagging on my gal Aretha? No, no, I'm just saying that that particular song is Paul McCartney's song to do whatever he wants with it. And he was brilliant. And Aretha Franklin sings it better. <laughs> it's not. It's not that controversial of a you. take. I can't argue with you over this stuff. It's just. It's too taxing. It's exhausting. <laughs> it is. It's exhausting for me too, dude. <laughs> you go ahead and you you listen to "Let It Be" by Aretha Franklin, and I'll go ahead and take the Beatles version. Thank you very much. And I'm so sorry for you. Hmm. Which would you rather? Which would rather your 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 neighbor's cat on its ninth ninth life, <laughs> or let it be the Paul McCartney version? Give me the cat. Hmm. Hey, did Monte Monte Teo get married? Yes, to an actual woman. Wow, <laughs> well, that's news. <laughs> How's that news? NFL players get married probably every day. <laughs> yeah, but a real woman. I felt so bad for him going through all that. Yeah. That just seemed like a terrible situation to, to find yourself. Do you have to c- 
come clean to be like, yeah, I got got fooled quite badly, and yeah. it really got away from me. And now I'm I'm humiliated before the national championship game. But uh, good times, good times. Mm-hmm. Is he still in the NFL? Is he still in the league? Ah, oh, beats me. I don't even know. I haven't heard about Manti for a long time. Well, good for him. He found uh, he found he, real love. He found love. That's terrific. Real love. How many personal ads did you have to answer before you and Lisa met? <laughs> it was just it was just fate. Neither one of us uh, controlled that destiny. It just no, happened. you didn't. You didn't take out a. A personal <laughs> No, I didn't say that that's how you and Lisa met. I'm saying how many personal ads did you go through before you and Lisa met? I didn't go through any. You didn't get a date through a personal ad? No, never. Hmm. Why? Did you make a habit of that? Desperate in Delaware. <laughs> no, not at all. Dear Desperate in Delaware. You know that Joe Biden grew up uh, just right down the street from me? You've told us that before. Yeah. Amazing. So several personal ads then? No, no. No? Okay. Not, not a single one. It's a little different now in the, the, the media, you know, the Match.com era. But back when you, you, were, you were doing it, Gordon, you had to take out an ad through the paper, right? Lundy, did you find me a version of Paul McCartney singing "Let It Be"? Nobody wants to hear that. I just nobody wants to hear it. I need to wash all this nonsense out of my ears right now. Nobody wants to hear it. All <laughs> of right, course we'll, they do. We'll it's have, never a bad time for that song. It's always a bad time for that song sung by that person. We'll have more big show coming up next. Stay tuned. Ninety-seven-five and twelve-eighty. The Zone. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gordo, another Monday comes and goes, but tomorrow is game day. It is game seven, everything on the line for both teams. And how will the Jazz respond? That is the $64,000 Were you superstitious uh, when you were in your storied athletic career? Uh, not particularly. No. Okay. Why? Well, just, you know, game seven, do or die, win or go home. You know, you think those jazz players are superstitious. I was just wondering if you were. Because I could I see you being superstitious because no. you believe in all sorts of of uh, wild aliens and things. So I could see you being, you know, I don't know. What's a superstition in hockey? You were you were on a semi-pro team. I, I, I just, uh, I was not superstitious. And the jazz shouldn't focus on superstition they should focus in on playing harder and uh, sharing the ball and uh, how about d'ing up a little bit could see you wearing the same underwear or something the same bikini <laughs> briefs no all the way all the that. way through what is it in uh in bull durham what was he wearing a, a, I don't woman, know. a woman's garter whatever that movie was terrible speaking of one of the most overrated sports movies of all time that's got to take the mantle Oh, man, you hear a lot of people, but a lot of baseball people say it's the best baseball movie ever. It's barely a baseball movie. It's a crappy love story between Susan Sarandon <laughs> and Kevin Costner. Just because uh, it, it loosely surrounds minor league baseball does not make it a sports movie. Well, what what baseball movie is the best baseball movie then? Oh, almost any other baseball movie. You can't go with a natural because that, that really is unrealistic. It's a lot better than Bull Durham. <laughs> oh, 
Okay. Major League, even if you're going to comedy, Major League's better than Bull Durham. Major League was pretty good. Uh, what else? Yeah. Uh, give me Eight Men Out. That was pretty good. Uh, what's his name? That uh, It's not even the best Kevin Costner baseball movie. That goes to uh, uh, Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. Hmm. All right. I always got bothered when people talked. Well, maybe it was one of those movies that I heard talked up so much that when I finally saw it, I was like, wow, that movie really stunk. What are people talking about? Oh, come on. It didn't stink. Uh, okay, so it wasn't your favorite movie, but it didn't stink. This is from somebody who just thinks the the family man should have won an Oscar. I don't know. <laughs> I really like The Family Man. It's a guilty pleasure of mine, all right? I think it's a really good movie, even though some people don't like it, but a lot of people do. I think It's not like it was the greatest movie ever, but I, I just loved it. What's the matter with that? Okay, give me an example of a baseball movie you think is worse than Bull Durham. Worse? You could say uh, Rookie of the Year, and I'd call you wrong. <laughs> I don't know. All I can tell you is the critics liked it. Liked Bull Durham? Yeah. Oh, what do they know? Which critic are you talking about? A lot of them. Look it up. Look it up right now. Look it up on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. or something. Tell me Tell me what the rating was on it. Bull Durham, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. What do yeah. they know on Rotten Tomatoes? Well, well, I mean, these are people who are supposed to know these things, isn't right? It you just don't... Like, a, like a crowd vote? Isn't that what Rotten Tomatoes is? Well, it, I think it has, uh, it has a... Uh, Movie review critic type vote, and then it's got a uh, a public vote, I think. But it, it's, you know, I mean, I can't control how people react to things, and it just seems like the critics like that. You're not always going to agree well, with that. The critics critic. are, are just buffoons. The 97% on the tomato meter, only 70 reviews from the people who supposedly know what they're talking about. The audience score, 82%. And you said the movie stinks. It does stink. Well, there's a lot of people who disagree with you. So? <laughs> so you're right, no matter what. I it's, I know your opinions uh, sway with the majority all the time, but mine don't have to. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what I am. I'm a populist, man. Exactly. What's your favorite band again? Okay, that was one time. What do you mean, one time? I... I I'm not sure it was my. You love the Showtime Lakers, and you pick or you pick all four number one seeds. I've got it. <laughs> and you call no, Bull Durham no. a good movie. Good for you. I picked, it's terrible. I picked, I picked terrible. three number ones and one number two. So knock it off. Hey, have a good night, my friend. I'll talk to you tomorrow. You, you too. All right, it's the big show. Ninety-seven five and twelve eighty at the zone.